Welcome to Chasing Prophecy on the UPRN Radio Network, FM 105.3 in New Orleans, where we discuss anything and everything beyond the skip of normal. I'm Jenny Nicassi, along with my co-hosts, Sean Kelly, Jason Ian Petro, and John Ventry. Welcome to the show. We have a really cool, interesting evening tonight, guys. Happy Torture Tuesday. Happy there we Torture go. Tuesday. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> yeah. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to our channel. We're on multiple platforms tonight. So if you have any questions concerning our guest, Jack Roth, I want you to post them. It's going to be an interesting evening, I can tell you for sure. Oh, tonight we're going to travel back in time. That's why we're in black and white. Was it John Ventry? Was it November 1963? Am I correct? November 22nd. November 22nd, 1963, that Kennedy was assassinated. We're going to talk about this. We've talked about a lot of different uh, scenarios um, with Kennedy. Um, so hopefully this is going to be a good conspiracy evening. So that's one of my favorite topics. How about you, Sean? I love it, especially when it comes to Kennedy. I like to get down to know what actually really happened. Jason, what do you think about the Kennedy assassination? Well, I was negative 23 years old at the time, so uh, you guys will probably know a lot more about it than I would. Okay. John, what are your views on the Kennedy assassination? I'm sure you have many of them. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a number of different reasons behind it. Uh, I always believed he was killed because of the silver certificates. You know, he flew in the face of the Federal Reserve, and when you're up against big money, Mm -hmm. you know, that uh, I thought that was the reason they killed him. But, uh, you know, you look at, there was a reason I didn't buy Bitcoin because I said there's no way they're going to allow cryptocurrency. But apparently that's, uh, I won't say it's done fine. It did really good and then it dropped back 60%. But, it, you know, it's no. there. Oh, I've never heard of the silver stuff. Well, is that the same thing as the uh, U.S. Treasury dollars, bonds? Is it the same thing? Well, uh, you know, it was backed by silver, like the gold standard. And do you remember, Sean, when you were young, there was silver certificate dollars? Oh, back, yeah, yeah. Back in the 60s. Yes, well, I collect them. I yeah, yeah, I used to you know, collect them as a kid and, you know, oh, they're going to be worth money. They were mm -hmm. backed by silver, which is $23 an ounce or whatever it is. Uh, but to me, it was if you're messing with the Federal Reserve and big money, I thought that was the reason. I got all the UFO theories, but I want to hear what this guy's got to say. Yeah, I'm happy he finds. I'm happy he gets the link. Okay, I sent it to him. Um, yeah, there's so many different stories, and it's very fascinating. There's even a time travel show that you can probably see it on Amazon Prime about um, the actor. I forget his name, but he goes back in time to try to change history. Um, and it goes back to the Kennedy. There's a lot of people, there's, there's so many different conspiracies regarding it, which finds it, it's very fascinating. I find it to be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, what was crazy, though, wasn't so much with Robert Kennedy, but his brother got killed and Martin Luther King got killed. Yeah, that well, the that's, same year? Not the same year, but that tells no. you, that tells you that, you know, let's see what the guy's got to say. I got my theory on who did all of that. And if you notice... There's been no assassination since the 60s, right? Right. Everybody, you know, oh, we're all racist. Nobody tried to kill Obama. Ooh, Trump, Trump. Nobody tried to kill Trump, right? The two most likely to get assassinated were the last two presidents, 
At least no that we know about. That we know well, of. yeah, at least that we know. And that we know of, but they could be covering up a lot of stuff. Well, you know, we we'll see what he's got to say. Why those three happened in the sixties, mm-hmm. and then the Kennedy curse. Oh well, yeah, the old man, the, the old man. Yeah, he was a bastard. I heard. I heard he made deals with the devil, and that now his family's got to pay for it. I don't know. No if doubt true or not. I'm no doubt. He well, was... I, you know, I, I'm saying that a lot is that the sins of the parents are come come to sins the of the sex. father. I think. Yeah, well, I, I include the mother because I think they're more uh, sinful. <laughs> Since Eve, Eve started the whole damn thing. It wasn't Adam's fault, but uh, <laughs> then it, you know it can go to the third or fourth generation. Possibly. <laughs> you think about it. You know, you see how things have changed. Everything's politically correct. When I was younger, Eve was the one who bit the apple. She got deceived, right? So now I go to church and it's like they blame Adam. Adam should have stopped Eve. <laughs> Didn't someone try so, to kill Reagan? So it's Adam's fault. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. they did. Yeah, but that yeah. was not. Uh, yeah, okay. You're right there. They got him, but they didn't assassinate him because he was a whack job and tried to kill uh, Reagan. These other people were then killed, right? Hmm. Jack Ruby. I don't know about Sirhan Sirhan. I think he's still in prison. I Find think he's still tonight, in prison, hopefully. too. Is our guest and you got on the yet? Whole, you got the uh, whole... No, MK, he's not on yet. MK Ultra, right? Oh, you got yeah. that whole thing about were these people uh, programmed to do this. This was like a Manchurian candidate. Manchurian, yes, definitely. Did any of you ever think about uh, running for president when you were a kid? Yeah. Not really? No, not at all. <laughs> One of my earliest memories was maybe first or second grade. You know how you, you make the cutouts of, of Lincoln in the, with his top hat and Washington? You know, you just cut out the silhouette. And I had them in my bedroom sitting there on the mirror. And I, I, was, I was, you know, whatever, seven. And I kept looking at it saying, why you and not me? What makes you better than me? I've always thought that way. Anything any person can do, another can do better. So why you and not me? Why can't I be president? You know, and then you, you find out. Be, you yeah. Could, but, you, you know, could. you find out the whole policy. I think it's all about the money. Oh, who has the, money. the most money to run for president? I had a conversation today with a, um, a woman with uh, AFL. Um, I got to remember what that stands for. But it was the same thing. She said, John, it's all about the money. We were talking about when I ran for governor. I won the debate, so it didn't matter. didn't matter. I didn't have $10 million in my account. didn't matter. Wow. It's very, very, very expensive. And they go back in your past to see everything you did. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I'm not, everything a big, would come out, you know, I'm not a big fan of Fetterman, but, man, that's one commercial they have by the bottom. Not paying his taxes, living off I would and forever vote for him. Sorry, you can't vote for a guy like that. This guy, you know, didn't work till he's forty nine. You know, I I was in Queens. I think I told the story. I, I tried out for the baseball team, little league. I needed three dollars. My father wouldn't give it to me to play baseball. They wanted me to pitch, right? So I decided, you know, I'm going to get a paper route. I lied about my age. I was 11. I said I was 12. I got a paper route. I paid my own way since I was 11 and a half. And this guy Fetterman has didn't start working until he was 49. And I think he became lieutenant government governor 
because Soros backed his campaign. So uh, this is not an American as far as I'm concerned. It's not an American story. This is a communist story. Well, we're going to bring our guest on soon. And I just want to read a little bit of his um, blurb up for his book um, in, in Killing Kennedy, Exposing the Plot, the Cover-Up and the Consequences. Author Jack Roth interviews researchers, scholars, eyewitnesses, and family members of those who were part of the tangled web of the USA. So I'm going to get right to it. During the Cold War and the circumstances surrounding the assassination of John F., Kennedy, the author, asks important questions, including why the assassination still matters today and what the lasting ripple effect has been since the fateful day. The Kennedy assassination represents one of the most impactful events in not only America, but world history. And this book represents that history and important understandings to its enduring significance. On November 22nd, 1963, the duly elected president of the United States was murdered in cold blood, forever destroying Camelot and national optimism for world peace, gleaning a people's history of the assassination through dozens of insightful, heartfelt interviews. The author successfully presents the riveting narrative by creating a respectful, well-crafted, emotionally charged book from which both older and younger generations will gain a greater understanding of our nation's history and the current status in the modern world. Jack Roth is a journalist, document, film producer, nonfiction book author. He has produced award-winning documentary films, Extraordinary Stan Romanek Storage, and Extraordinary Seating, and Extraordinary The Revelation. He is also the author of Ghosts, Soldiers, it sounds like something Sean would like in Gettysburg, An Unknown Down, the book that adeptly explores unexplained phenomena. Jack's work is driven by his strong desire to seek the truth and share it with others, as this, he believes, will ultimately lead to a greater enlightenment and personal freedom of all humanity. Okay, welcome to the show, Mr. Roth. Let me bring you on, Jack. Welcome to Chasing Prophecy. Good to have you with hey, us. Hey, welcome to Torture Tuesday. Hey, yes. everyone. Could, can you hear me okay? Yes, you sound what? wonderful. Okay. <laughs> you sound great. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on the show. We love this and want to hear all about what you have and give us some of your, um, well, I'm a conspiracy freak. Um, so if this is anything like I'm hoping it's going to be, it's going to be in a right evening. So tell us what, so tell us about your book and what brought you to write it. Sure. Yeah. I'll tell you a little bit about the book and, and, you know, listen, uh, I'll talk about anything, you know, we got our documentaries and I know you've had us on before, yeah. uh, for the extraordinary series that we did. And, uh, you know, the ghost soldiers of Gettysburg is an, an yeah. older book, but it's always fun to talk about ghosts. <laughs> so, but yeah, Definitely. no, uh, I am excited about the new book. It, it was a three year endeavor. Uh, it's called killing Kennedy exposing the plot the cover-up and the consequences and it's officially going to be out on november 15th uh, uh it's being published by skyhorse publishing and uh it, you know they're timing it around the anniversary uh which they tend to do with books like this but um I, i'm i'm really happy with the way the book turned out because when i first decided i as a lot of us 
have gone through this with certain things, uh, whether it be the Kennedy assassination or UFOs or unsolved mysteries. At, at a certain point, we're like, you know what? I need, to, I need to contribute to this. I need to do my own research. And as a writer and as I have a journalist background, I wanted to contribute to the Kennedy assassination. I, uh, since I was a kid, I, was, I just saw through it. I just felt like the minute that I knew Jack Ruby killed Oswald, I knew there was more to it than what every, the government was saying. And, you know, and so what I did was I, I asked friends, I'm like, what kind of book can I write on the JFK assassination that hasn't already been written? And I knew at this point I wasn't going to solve any murders. I wasn't going to all of a sudden come up with that one piece of evidence that, you know, that <laughs> the holy grail of it all. Right. To say, oh, my gosh, this this guy did the shooting. So there is a lot of new information out there in the form of uh, thank, thanks to the Freedom of Information Act. But what kind of book could I do? And it, the, the words, the phrases ripple effects and why it still matters kept coming up kept coming up. I kept asking people and I have a son, he's 20 years old. And I thought to myself, and he's, he's kind of a, it's a free thinker. He, he gets it. And I didn't force him to watch JFK, but we watched JFK and, um, he loved it. And he was asking a lot of questions. So I said, you know what, this is the kind of, I need to do like a, get modern perspectives on the JFK assassination and ask the people I talk to why it still matters. Why, why bother? Why bother talking about it? And, um, it, I wound up interviewing, I interviewed 30, about 30 people, but 24 wound up in the book and I treat each chapter as an, is basically an interview. And what I wanted to do is get different perspectives on the assassination. And I was very lucky. I feel like I was very fortunate to get some incredible people in this book. Uh, there were, there's actually four people in the book whose fathers were in the CIA during that time. And so that was a very interesting part of the book, to say the least. And there's more to all that. We can get into the details and, you know, in, in a bit. But uh, and I interviewed two women who were kids at the time who one was in Dealey Plaza that day and another was the granddaughter of the woman who ran the boarding house that Oswald was staying in. Um, another uh, gentleman, uh, St. John Hunt is E. Howard Hunt's son uh, of you know the Watergate fame and the Kennedy assassination uh, CIA guy. So I had this incredible perspective from all these people and for, it, it was an incredible experience for me because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know mm -hmm. what, what the journey was going to be like. And as it turned out, it blew my mind. I mean, I really learned a lot. I didn't think I could learn much more because I read a lot of books and did a lot of research. But and I my goal in the book was not to preach, was not to uh, say at the end, he did it, they did it. But to take all of this information, share the information, and then give my account of what I learned from that. So I think it's it, it, in that sense, it's a valuable. I think it's a valuable addition to the JFK research. So I'm happy, Definitely. really happy. <laughs> you know, really, I, I I have to say I am. I were can you, understand uh, that. During your uh, research, were you um? Were you like surprised at some of the stuff that you found that wasn't pertaining to the original story? 
Yeah. Well, yes. And, and what I was finding is that each of these people I interviewed, there was a personal story there. Mm-hmm. And so not only was it talking about, so for example, like the first part of the book is researchers. So I interview researchers and these are all people who have written books about the JFK assassination. And so they talked about their research and I would ask them, what obstacles, what obstacles did you come up against? Um, were you ever feel f- fearful for your life? Uh, was there a eureka moment? Right. So each of these individuals that was in that section would talk about, yeah, well, you know, I really had a lot of pushback and I really and it became personal. So every every one of these interviews became very personal and some of them became extremely emotional. I think that what I learned and and, well, there's another section in the book that I call uh, philosophical, psychological and social perspectives. And what I did was I interviewed uh, academics, uh, PhDs in different areas. So I, I interviewed a, a two psychologists, um, a, a, a philosophy professor and a history professor, all college PhDs. And I wanted to ask the question of why, why whatever did happen to Kennedy, why was the general public, a lot of it, so quick to accept the Warren Commission's findings? Why is it so difficult for a lot of people to go out of their comfort zone and say, oh, my God, my government may have done this? You know, so I wanted to get the psychology behind all of it. And I wanted to get to the psychology behind the people that were also in power at the time that may have been responsible for his death. So, and, and the things I found out were amazing, but what, one of the things I did find out specifically, and one thing I did learn is out of the 24 people I interviewed, 23 of them not only believe that Oswald didn't do it. In other words, that he never touched a gun that day, but that he tried to stop the assassination. And this, there's evidence to this. There, there's there's enough circumstantial evidence to this that suggests that he did. He tried to he that he may have been the person who a guy named Lee uh, contacted the FBI in Chicago when Kennedy was going to be up there and said there, there's going to be a plot. These uh, people are going to try to kill him, and so they stopped that. They didn't do the Chicago. Uh, uh, they were going to do the same kind of thing they were going to do that they did, wound up doing in Dallas. So. Uh, and then in in Dallas, of course, there's this, he went someone went to the FBI office in Dallas and gave them a note saying there's something's going to happen. So I think a, a lot of the really amazing things I learned had to do with Oswald. There was really nothing new about Kennedy, really, that that I learned. Uh, and there were some there were some interesting new documents that were released through the freedom of information act. That's, you know, but again, it was that really suggesting that Oswald was an intelligence asset. So it's all of these things. But what I learned was the Oswald that the mainstream media portrayed to us has portrayed to us over the years as a lone nut, a disenchanted kind of guy who was a a communist sympathizer, honestly couldn't be further from the truth. And I, didn't go into it thinking that that was necessarily going to be the case. But when I interviewed these people, I mean, either based on their research or having met him or known him uh, from one one way or the other, 
it, it that blew my mind. Yes, that that really surprised me. It, it I should say this, it didn't surprise me, but I couldn't believe to the extent that all of these individuals from different areas and you know uh, of study and research and all of that all felt the same way. And the 24th person didn't necessarily think it was this was the little girl who was in Dealey Plaza that day. But her story was that I just didn't hear like I, I thought I heard firecrackers. So I, I I didn't necessarily look up at the at the, you know, the the book depository or so she just was like, I, I don't know who did it. I could never say and it could have been Oswald or anyone else. So but yeah, you know, it, it it's fascinating when you when you start researching these things and interviewing people and they start crying while you're interviewing them because of something, you know, it affected their lives to such a degree or, you know, uh, for whatever reason, you know, they spent so much time on this. So that, that was, that was really revealing to me. John, you got a question? Well, I've never heard that before that Oswald tried to stop it. And you're saying 23 out of 24 actually believe that. I mean, what are they basing that on? Well, 23 of the 24 believe that, well, well, yeah, two things that uh, Oswald wasn't didn't do any shooting that day for. And, and again, the research is because of the research they did. So, for example, uh, this one gentleman who wrote a book about this, uh, wrote a book about this specifically was the Zapruder film and the you know, they they study the the intricacies of exactly what happened at that moment which is I give them credit for because it's been so many years that it's hard to do that, but they, they nevertheless do it. Uh, one guy, for example, David Mantic, uh, he's a, 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 he's a doctor and he, uh, he went to the national archive several times and looked at the, uh, the autopsy photos and looked at the photos of the brain. And th through that, he determined that there was no way that the shot could have come. There were more than one shot. And then he had, there were several wounds, uh, et cetera. But the whole idea that Oswald was Oswald, what, what winds up, what winds up happening is you have this huge puzzle and there's a lot of disinformation out there. Right. And it's been almost 60 years. So you try to put together as many pieces of the puzzle as you can. And as and my goal was to just present this these, uh, you know, compelling new, whether there was new information or whether, you know, there was, you know, interesting insights, uh, that we can kind of grab onto today and, and, and take with us as we kind of move forward and try to, you know, navigate democracy as it is right now. So, but I had always heard before I even started doing the book that Oswald was, most likely an intelligence operative, low level. Okay. So you have to, so if you, if you consider that, so you have to consider that. So if you consider that Oswald was a low level operative, he was being, he was being ordered to do certain things leading up to the assassination. And one of the parts of my book that is three chapters worth of the book is called uh, New Orleans, the summer of 63, because all, all those people I interviewed for that section of the book were had either done research or were there in the summer of 63 and they either knew Oswald or they had done research on other things that were going on in New Orleans at the time. Uh, 
So, and again, you have to realize the times in which this happened, the Cold War. So Oswald's this low-level intelligence operative taking orders. They're telling him to go hand out pamphlets here. They're telling him to go do pro-Castro stuff here. They're telling him to, they're basically sheep-dipping him. And what happens is you start putting these pieces together, but he was so he's so then right like two months or three months before the assassination, he's told to go to Dallas and he get, and he's given a job at the Texas School Book Depository. And, you know, again, you start adding up these quote unquote coincidences and they start to make a little sense of, OK, well, wait a minute. So now he's at the at the School Book Depository and. One of the people I interviewed, her name is uh, Judith Very Baker, and she was a pre-med. She was like this protege working on uh, cancer research. And she was she was uh, from Florida and she was she went to New Orleans to study under Alton Oshner. Alton Oshner was a big wig in the New Orleans area. He was a surgeon. He was a he was a very powerful guy. And, and he, he, he led all these the Tulane University Medical School. He was he was in charge of a lot of what was going on, medically speaking, in, during that time in New Orleans. Anyway, long story short is she went up there. And she met Oswald and her story, which I believe. But again, I'm leading it up to the readers to believe what they want to believe that she had an affair with Oswald that summer and she met David Ferry. She met, uh, you know, Clay Shaw. She met a lot of the characters that were in associated with new Orleans that summer that were involved or supposedly involved with the assassination in one way, shape or form. But all this was CIA. It was CIA, uh, Naval intelligence and all of that, that, that new Orleans at that time was like, the heart of the U.S. intelligence community. They were all right there because of their access to South America and Cuba. So New Orleans was a big deal in the 1960s when it came to U.S. intelligence. So what winds up happening is Oswald, he's doing his thing. He's taking his orders. And she, she's, they ha start having an affair because Oswald, of course, is married. She's married as well. But they start having this affair. And she talks about the last phone call that she had. So he, Oswald leaves, goes to, he's ordered to go to Dallas and they start to kind of piece things together. Like, well, what do he, he, Oswald's a smart guy. Okay. And he starts to realize that there's something not quite right with his movements and the things they're having him do. So they, uh, what happens is a couple of, like maybe a week, five days before the assassination is the last time Judith speaks with Oswald. And they're on the phone and he's like, he tells her, he says, I don't think I'm going to survive what's about to happen. And she's like, why not? What's going on? And he's, he's like, I just, I, 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 I know what's going to happen, but I can't get out of it. And she's like, meet me in Mexico. Just go to Mexico. I'll meet you in Mexico. We'll just run away. And he's like, I can't do that because they threaten and this happened to a couple other people in the book as well. They'll threaten you and your family, meaning Marina Oswald, his two daughters, young daughters that he had at the time, that if you don't finish this assignment, if you don't follow it through, they'll kill you. They'll kill your family like straight out. And a lot of people were realizing leading up to the assassination that the reason they were told initially that why they were going to be there wasn't really the reason they were going to be there. It was kept in the dark. It was almost like need to know. 
So they, if someone thought they were supposed to be there for a naval intelligence photo assignment, right? And they were supposed to just be there taking pictures or shooting something in a certain area where they were meant to be at this location at this time. They weren't sure why, but they were told that they were told to do that. So there, and you know, there is that, that note that was given to the FBI office in Dallas leading up to the assassination where it was Lee, you know, again, supposedly Lee Harvey Oswald was like, something's going to happen. And of course they dismissed it. And there was, and there was also a FBI agent in Chicago who came out in more recent years that said, yeah, we knew we stopped that route, that motorcade route. And we stopped the whole visit because we were, we got this information from this guy, Lee, Lee was all they said that said that they were, there was something was going to happen. And it had it involved Cuban nationalists, the you know pro Castro guys, and that there was going to be an assassination attempt. And Lee himself said, told Judith, "If I stay, at least if I stay, there'll be one less gun pointed at Kennedy." And this is this is what she told me. So again, I tell people, I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. I wasn't even born. I was born two years later. So there's no way I could know what happened. But all I'm doing is I'm interviewing these people. They're telling me these stories. And of course, she's crying and it's very, very emotional. This was like the love of her life. And basically, this happens. She sees him and then he's in handcuffs. And then she's and she's and then she watches him on TV, live TV, get killed. And this is she's in love with this guy. So there is if and again, do the research. I ask anyone. I'll I'll tell anyone this just do the research, read the, read the good stuff, get, make sure you, you know, the, 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 the people that are doing the good research, find the information for yourself. It's out there, you know? And again, who knows, who knows what it, Oswald may very well have been a part of the assassination team. I don't know, but it was more. Yeah. How many different theories did you come across as far as who was behind it? You know, there's I I've you know there was the uh, we were talking beforehand this the silver certificate and you know he created did that upset the Federal Reserve? There's those memos that he was willing to share secrets with outer space exploration and 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 aliens. There were two memos with the Russians that they were going to share information with uh, Russia. Did that get him killed? Was it Marilyn Monroe's? Big mouth, you know, how many theories did you come across? I didn't come across that many, even though I knew they were out there. And I kind of, I, I vetted people up front because I didn't want to make this a out now conspiracy theory book. And in fact, what I did was I spend my entire introduction explaining what the word conspiracy actually means. I talk about the three C's, conspiracy, cover-up, and corruption. And the fact that it's part of our everyday lives. And the fact that all not con- all conspiracy theories are not created equal. I mean, if, if you sit here and say, well, you know, uh, there's questions about the Kennedy assassination. That's, that's simply critical thinking because there is a lot about the Kennedy assassination that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But if someone says, well, the earth is flat, well, that's a little more out there. Like, that's why I say they're not all created equal. You could there could be a conspiracy about anything. But with the Kennedy assassination, the conspiracy 
part of the conspiracy comes in the cover-up. So the people I interviewed that wrote, wrote these books and, and in one way, shape, or form were involved or knew their fathers were in the CIA, a lot of it came down to the CIA because it was I, – I didn't get much of any of that stuff with the UFOs. I didn't know where it would go. If, I, if someone started talking about, well, he wanted to know too much about UFOs or Marilyn Monroe, you know – got him killed or whatever. I, I didn't hear any of that. But what I heard over and over again is the Cold War, Cold Warriors, which are the guys from World War II, like the Alan Dulleses, right, who was the head of the CIA, who Kennedy fired after the Bay of Pigs. Who was the head I, of MK Ultra, also, that correct. trained these guys. Yeah, and him and James Angleton. I mean, they, it was MK Ultra. Operation Mockingbird was a big part of it. And a right. lot of people talked about that because they couldn't pull it off without the media. They needed to control the media. They needed to control the message. And if you look back and you think about it, the Fourth Estate, the media, totally failed us, right? Because they're supposed to be this independent thinking. Like, you know, it was so obvious some of these things. Like, again, I go back to Ruby. I go back to Ruby shooting Oswald. And as a critical thinker, I sit there and I'm like, well, that something's rotten in the state of Denmark right there. Why? Well, what are you kidding me? And then they say, well, he was he didn't want Jackie to go through a trial because he loved Jackie Kennedy. That if that's not the biggest bunch of hunk, I don't know what the heck is. Well, <laughs> so right there, you're already asking questions, you know. So well, most of it, to answer your question, most of it was CIA related. Uh, as far as the theories are concerned, or who did it, who was who now who did it and who was involved in the cover up, whether uh, they even knew they were involved in the cover up is another question. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, the media didn't learn their lesson because they're today's fourth estate covering for one party against the other against the foundations of this country, you know, but, you know, you say the CIA to CIA, and I agree with you, did, did LBJ's name come up? And I'll tell you why. It was interesting that uh, Forrestal was connected to JFK. Forrestal tried to recruit JFK to become part of his staff, and, and, and JFK decided to go into uh, politics. And, you know, the whole UFO story with Roswell and MK and uh, the Majestic 12. Uh, well, they, they I, they're giving they're giving Forrestal a medal and six weeks later incarcerating him in Bethesda for uh, depression or mental illness. But the person who was the last person to visit Forrestal to change his mind about going public about UFOs was LBJ, was the last person he saw other than the people that threw him out the window. So, you know, I've always said that this took place in Dallas, and you always have to look at who benefits. Well, LBJ, that's his town. He can cover it up. He's the vice president. He becomes the president. That's the biggest benefit of this whole thing. Did, did his name come up in any of this with the CIA as a plot? Uh, yes, it did. And that's a great, I'm so glad you asked that because there's so much in the book that if you don't ask me, I'll forget some of it. Yeah, but yeah. that I interviewed a guy by the name of Phil Nelson, who wrote a book, a couple books on LBJ. I mean, he deep dive in LBJ. And uh, <laughs> LBJ, according to not only Phil Nelson, but other things that I've heard and read, 
not only was he an opportunistic person, but he was a narcissistic sociopath. He was part, he was also part of a Texas good old boy network. And if you go back earlier in his career, before he became vice president, the, we go back to corruption, the, one of the C words, right? The amount of corruption in Texas with these good old boys and you have to that includes the oil guys right they have all this power so you have these judges these oil magnets uh and they run everything and it's all about money and it's all about payoffs lyndon johnson was immersed in that that was how he grew up in politics that was his whole thing but according to phil nelson he had this he had to become president of the United States. It was a thing with him that he was going to become, no matter what it took, he was going to become the president of the United States. He was incredibly egotistical, uh, power hungry, and uh, again, a, a, really a narcissist. And, and and you talk to people who really knew him, and it's like, yeah, he was a piece of work. He was the and Harvey Weinstein of uh, his time. With he was. Also. He was crass, See? but he thought, this is this is something that's a big takeaway from this book. If you read the book, you'll you'll see it, and 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 that's the take that you'll you'll take this away, if nothing else. There, there, the people who run things, and I'm not going to name specific names or groups or corporations, or I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. But there are people who have the power, ultimate power. There. They're elitists. They're, they're, and in this country, especially during that time, there were blue blood Ivy League elitists. And these people literally believed they were better than everyone else. They were better than the masses. Okay. And they're grown up this way. They go in these Ivy League educations. They, they join these societies, whether it's skull and bones or other things, where the whole message of that is you are great. You are greater than everyone. You are meant to lead. We are meant to be well-educated and we are the ones who are meant to lead everyone else because they can't do it for themselves. So the ego, it, it's, it's human nature. It's, it, it, and, and what I learned from the psychologist is that these flaws in human nature, it's being egotistical, it's being power hungry. Uh, a lot more people are narcissists than you believe that you would ever believe are narcissists. And that literally would be considered mentally ill. LBJ in a lot of ways had mental illnesses. Not, and there were other, a lot of other people yeah. in high positions who were bipolar. They were, and they most certainly were sociopathic, meaning that they had, they didn't care. They didn't care. LBJ had a couple of henchmen that he used from his early days in Texas. And if you really get into that, this guy named Mac Wallace literally was his hitman. He was his heavy. And he he killed. They there were a lot of mur unsolved murders surrounding LBJ during before he became vice president. So yes, uh, not only Bill Nelson, uh, but yeah, uh, but a lot of a lot of people talked about LBJ as not necessarily the mastermind, but certainly, and and not even maybe an accomplice. He went along with it. He he went he along benefited. with it. Exactly, and and it, the, the and it the fact that it happened in Dallas, uh, 
you know, and, and there were certain things about the fact that LBJ kind of planned part of the route and some people, and I can't confirm this again, cause I wasn't there and I didn't see it, but some people said he disappeared in the, <laughs> in the limousine behind Kennedy's. There was one or two cars behind all of a sudden, no one saw LBJ like leading up to when the shots were fired and he literally, so people were like, he ducked <laughs> like, and that he knew the shots were coming. I don't know if this is true. I don't, I yeah, can't want to get hit by an errant bullet. He, he didn't want to get hit from different like, Con like yeah. Connolly got hit. Connolly yeah. got hit. So yeah, it's a great question. LBJ, but the thing, and, and this is the one thing I would, I would stress understand history. Understanding history is understanding human nature. And if you understand human nature, you can understand history and you can also understand the present, why things are the way they are now and possibly even the future, because you have to understand that humans are very flawed. And we look at it as like, how could they do something like this? How in the world could they do something like oh. this? If you, the CIA was doing so many nefarious things during the Cold War and they were untouchable. So how many people um, do you think were involved in all this? I mean, how many? There, tons? I mean, how, well, there has to be like a half a dozen people knew that it was going to happen. Uh, that's probably a really good guess. And again, I can't say for sure. But what I gathered from, again, what I've learned over the years and the people I spoke to, a lot of them are like, yeah, maybe half a dozen. Because it, it would have been like Alan Dulles, right? People making this. That's why people say, well, rogue elements of the CIA, the entire CIA didn't get together and make this unilateral decision to kill Kennedy. But Alan Dulles, Kennedy fired him. Alan Dulles was not the head of the CIA when Kennedy was killed, but he still had a lot of power. There were the Dulles people and they were the cold warriors. They were the hawks. They were the people that wanted to literally, literally. Operation Northwoods, another CIA th where they were going to have a false flag event, blame it on Cuba and blow Cuba off the map. They did not care about nuclear war. They like, well, we'll win it. They kind of knew that Russia wasn't quite as powerful as people made them out to be. We'd win that war. Would millions die? Yeah, but we'd be in our bunkers and they just wanted to get rid of communism at any cost. And because they were, again, these cold warriors, right? They were, they, they were in world war two, you know, and, and truth be told, a lot of them had fascist leanings, which is why a lot of them, a lot, Alan Dulles helped a lot of Nazis get out of Germany after the war. It wasn't just uh, Werner von Braun in the space program. There were thousands of them that the CIA helped get out of Germany and helped just not have to deal with what they did in Germany. There's a lot to this guys. And I know it's, it, it, that's the thing about the Kennedy assassination. It's this huge tapestry, right? But the questions are great. And I appreciate the questions, you know, and, and I'm answering them in a way that, listen, I don't know, you know, I can't say for certain what's, you know, what happened, obviously, but mm -hmm. a lot of people did say yeah, about maybe a dozen really high up powerful people. And it's maybe even in the shadows that were like, you know, listen, and it can't come back to us. It could not come back to them, which is why Oswald or others who were also set up to be patsies, one of them had to take the fall. And then one of them, whoever took the fall, had to die before the trial. There could not be a trial. Yeah. 
Enter Didn't Jack you, Ruby. You heard Cuba, uh, the mafia. Did, did the mafia have a hand in it? Because they helped get JFK elected. And then he turned on, I think it was Sinatra, and he kind of dissed the mafia. You know, he kicked them out after he got elected and, and went back on his word. Did the mafia have any involvement in this at all? Yeah, so, uh, and according to some of the people I spoke to, uh, and, and at different levels, depending on who you talk to, but the whole New Orleans thing that summer in New Orleans, they all knew, all those players uh, knew Carlos Marcello, including Jack Ruby, David Ferry, Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald's mother dated one of uh, Carlos Marcello's like lieutenants. I mean, it they it was you know the New Orleans mob in the early late fifties and early sixties was very powerful, as we all know, um, as were the other families in other parts of the country, Chicago, Tampa, all of it. So yeah, so what 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 people have said, and and what you really start to understand is. Kennedy had a lot of enemies and it's his fault. I mean, Kennedy was playing with fire. He pissed off a lot. Him and Bobby pissed off a lot of the wrong people. Yep. Okay. And a lot of it was because they did, they wanted to, they wanted to stop the cold war. They wanted to, they wanted to, uh, you know, that they, uh, with the nuclear weapons, uh, you know, they wanted to get rid of those. And Kennedy was working with Khrushchev at the end to, to do this. And they really were because they realized after the Cuban missile crisis, how close, we got to annihilating millions of people. So, but what people say about the mob, the mob could, the mob was good at doing the hits. The hot, the mob had hitmen who could do this. And so the CIA during that time worked with the mob and this has come out. This is this, that's some of these statements and some of the things I'm saying have been proven true. The CIA worked with the mob on certain things because they used them as informants and uh, they also they they used them as assassins because they were really good at hits. So you get there were a couple of mob guys in Dealey Plaza that day, right, whether it's uh, Victor Marchetti or who you know, this other guy that they thought was there who all, you know, in the 1970s when the uh, when those commissions came out to look into the CIA and what happened. These guys wound up dead. They found them dead. They all these all of a sudden all these mob guys were, you know, showing up in barrels in Miami with, you know, with their body parts all over the place. But they all they were all yeah, they were all tied to the Kennedy assassination. So, yes, I think the mob was happy to help. Yeah, let's put it that way. Oh. <laughs> they were happy to help. They couldn't have done it on their own because they needed they couldn't have controlled. The media. They couldn't have controlled the autopsy or the you know what happened to the body afterwards there had to be other people involved to help with the cover-up but the mob was perfect for the hit interesting there was a guy and i i can't remember his name right now uh lee chrisman did his name come up at all chrisman oddly is involved with uh murray island the, the UFO thing that happened a week before Kenneth Arnold's sighting of a, a UFO that drops some slag and hits a, a, a boat and, and you get this Lee Chrisman and Dahl. Well, years later, Chrisman emerges in the whole Kennedy investigation as an operative. And I've always said that 
a lot of the UFO stories were cover stories for the military and our Air Force and and the Nazis that we brought over. But, it, you know, this Crispin guy had to be working for the CIA because he's involved in Murray Island UFOs and, and Kennedy. Did his name come up at all, Lee Crispin? I knew the name because of my UFO research. Yeah. But I no one ever brought him up. I'm trying to think within the entire book if anyone brought him up, and I don't think they did. But I knew his I and there are guys like that, and you're like, oh, who's this is this guy? And he's tends to be everywhere yeah. all the time. And and th that's how the CIA operated. They had guys like that, whether it was yeah. Oswald or whether it was Chrisman or any there's there are people and 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 what's scary about it is they like what, what are they doing? Like what kind of you know, and then you think, are can are they capable of killing you? I mean, you know, here's a, it depends on what your job is, but the, again, it comes down to the nefarious nature of the CIA. And it, one of the things that did come up, and it was in passing more than anything, was Eisenhower and Kennedy, and Eisenhower having met with Kennedy to talk to him about UFOs. And again, I had to be real careful in the book because I wanted to stick to the Kennedy assassination. I felt like that would be another book. Mm. And I didn't want people to just get like, oh, there's another conspiracy theory. I didn't want I, I wanted to try to keep it simple from that standpoint. But they you know, you have Eisenhower, who apparently is the first president to. You know, have a meeting with ETs, right, or to have contact. Mm -hmm. And of course, presidents, they want to know and they but they can only know there's they know some stuff, but that's not they're not the deep, deep state. They're not the the people who really need to know. And that's also, I believe, a very small group of people with, with UFOs. Mm -hmm. But they always say that, like, well, Kennedy, want, he, need, he wanted to know too much. Well, you know, Jimmy Carter wanted to know too much. Like there are other presidents that we've had who are really interested in. Nixon wanted to know. He would like, you know, he was like, I want to know. Hey, Jackie Gleason, Jackie Gleason, Jackie Gleason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that whole story. And Nixon yeah. was very much into like the whole like, OK, whatever. And I kind of believe that story just because I don't it's almost like you can't make that up. What's the <laughs> but, Jackie Gleason story? I didn't hear that one. Well, uh, that, <laughs> yeah, well, Gleason was very much into UFOs. Right. And he would always ask, ask Nixon what's the truth about the ufos and nixon had a habit of disappearing uh you know he'd tell his security uh secret service i gotta go to the bathroom he climb out the window get in his buick and, <laughs> and just take off because he didn't want them around and stuff so one day he pulls up to uh, gleason's place in florida homestead i think it was mm -hmm. and and he says get in i'll show you and he takes them they you know they go to uh, the gate opens they clear them I mean, the guard sees President Nixon and Jackie Gleason. They, you know, he waves them on. They go into this underground bunker, and there, there's an alien in a vat of liquid and stuff. And maybe you know more to that story, but uh, it's Gleason's wife that tells the story, and she says when he came home from that, he was like a changed person. So he uh, be he believed in. Okay, he saw the UFO. Now he saw it, but the big thing was. He kept saying, why don't they tell the public? And it's like he was deep in thought for months. Like this is a life-changing thing. Like whether you believe in he God. He was never the same. He was never the same after seeing yeah. that. 
I don't know well, if you know more about the story. Yet. No, not much. I, I always find it kind of funny because here you have Jackie Gleason and he's bugging Nixon later because they're, they're golf buddies. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, you know, you know, Dick, come on. What do you know? What do you know? And 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 it was like almost to the point where, all right, Jackie, look, you you want to know? You sure you want to know? You're like, and then it's like, <laughs> you know, once you know and once you see You're that, like, you, you can't tell anyone if you, you know, maybe you give, no one's going to believe you. Right. But you know, well, I wonder if Nixon didn't set that whole room up as a prank that yeah. they weren't real aliens, but maybe because all right, big fat Jackie wants to know we're gonna stick yeah. it to him, you know, yeah. and, and they set this room up you know, and then he took him there and he played the biggest prank in history on, on Jackie Gleason. He never told that him. would be awesome. It's awesome to it, that's why it's so funny either way, and then, Do you and then the yeah. Date? Was it April 1st that he did this? April oh, 4th? no, I don't know. I don't, just no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not sure. But yeah, that's a, that's a good story. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, you know, you always hear these things about the president. What the pre the president, I believe. And certainly, I think from the from early on in this country, but certainly from the 30s, 40s, World War Two, they were not the most powerful people in the country by far not and and that and they there were and as time went on and that's why eisenhower was like guys watch out there's stuff going on that he was very concerned about the cia as was truman because they knew that they were out of control it's like wait a minute you guys are going down to guatemala instigating a coup in guatemala in the 50s you're you're getting rid of a, a democratically elected leader, putting in your own puppet because of the United Fruit Company that you want to still make profits down there because you own shares in United Fruit Company. This is the Dulles brothers. Yeah. Right. So you learn stuff like this. And this is fact. This isn't conspiracy theory. This is fact. Look up the Guatemalan coup of the 1950s. Why it most, happened. You know, look up United Fruit Company. Yeah. Most people don't know the CIA ran area 51 that was their thing it wasn't the air force the cia has their own planes spy satellites all of that but but back then when area 51 started in the 50s it was the cia that was running it that's their place you know and it was i guess truman was a tr uh truman that or maybe it was eisenhower that said i'm going to take the first army from colorado and bring them down to Area 51. And if you don't let us in, you better let one of my people in beforehand, or I'm bringing the first army down there to storm the place. And they let the guy in, but they didn't show him all the levels. You know, they took him down three, four, five levels, showed him a few things that satisfied the president. But you know, they didn't show him everything. No, in the during the Cold War, as far as the CIA was concerned. They were the ones that were going to save the country. They were the ones making all the decisions and presidents better play along. And if they didn't play along at that point in time, people ask me who killed Kennedy. And I say the cold war killed Kennedy. Mm -hmm. That's what I say, because it was his, the time in which he governed and the things that were happening around him. Think about it. He's elected in 60, right? Uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, Bay of Pigs. This is all his term, first term. Yeah. You know, in the height of the Cold War, the height of the Cold War, 
and he's firing Alan Dulles. He's firing all the guys, the Cold Warriors, who built the CIA. He's firing all these people, right? And and again, yes, you could go further and say, well, he wanted to get rid of the Federal Reserve. He wanted to, you know, uh, the that oil tax. These are all facts too. He did want to, mm-hmm. you know, tax the oil companies, and you know, he was trying to be. Over the course of his presidency, he changed. And one of the guys I interviewed, it was one of the, I have to be honest, it was one of the most fascinating chapters of the book, was a gentleman by the name of Peter Janney, who wrote this book called Mary's Mosaic. And it's about the death of Mary Pinchot Meyer in 1964, a year after the Kennedy assassination. It was directly related to the Kennedy assassination. And Mary Pinchot Meyer was this blue blood, Vassar educated, uh, just elite family, New York family kind of person. And she was amazing. She was, she was, she was like ahead of her time. And you want to talk about, uh, uh, just the female power and the power of the feminine. She had it all. And she was very, uh, she, she knew Kennedy and they obviously, they ran the same circles and her, uh, her sister was married to Ben Bradley, the guy who eventually became the uh, editor of the Washington Post. And Ben Bradley and her sister, Tony, were best friends with Jack and Jackie. So they all knew each other. Long story short, Mary has an affair, but not your typical affairs. One of the few women in Kennedy's life that he actually respected. Uh, and there's a whole story behind it. But she was trying to get Kennedy. She was like, because she was a, a fairly liberal in her thinking. And she, and after, after the Cuban Missile Crisis, she's like, this, we're all going to die. And she had an effect on him. She did have a little influence on him. And you can see as time went on in his presidency, when he gave that American University uh, address, which is considered one of the best speeches of all time given by a president, it was, not short, it was shortly after that that he was killed. Was but, that the one where he talked about secret societies and... He said a lot of very interesting uh, things in that. Oh, that was one of the greatest speeches <laughs> ever, ever. Yeah, he, he just didn't care anymore. It was like da da da, and and a lot of it was talking about peace and and the fact that we had to have peace in Russia. And and yeah, and it's true. I know we see it in a million movies and we hear it a million times. But Kennedy did not want to get involved in Vietnam, whereas Johnson was yeah. all too happy to get involved in Vietnam because him yeah. and his cronies made billions of dollars on the Vietnam war. And that's what you, it, that's the thing. Like, and this is the same thing with UFOs. And that's why I feel like it, it all ties in together because it all comes down to people who control everything. They are the ones that are, they're creating the narrative. All right. And whether they're throwing out disinformation, they're like, now people talk about disclosure. Well, are they dripping out disclosure? Are they throwing us little breadcrumbs, right? But they're, they're trust me, they're still controlling the narrative. Yeah. You, know, you it, could talk to any UFO researcher. Yeah. It's, it's and, the same thing with COVID. You know, you, you hear these stories of Bill Gates and six months before Agenda 21 and, you know, um, the, these meetings on depopulation, all these things. But who makes the money off of all of this? Fauci? you know, Gates, the pharmaceuticals, do they really even care about all the people that die? I think they only care about how they can make a killing and make a few billion dollars. That's all they really care about. Most definitely. I can say with certainty, after having 
written this book and done the research that I did, that they absolutely do not care about us. Not they care yeah. less. We all die tomorrow. This is where I go back to the elitist mentality. There's and and it, re it really is a real mentality that's very scary, and it's like we are meant to rule over all others, and it's I, not just the ancient kings and you know of you know no. thousand years ago. It's now, oh, <laughs> and God. and that, that that's the mentality, and it's horrifying. That and, is. And, you know, that's why that's why in the book it's like does it, it doesn't matter exactly who killed Kennedy. It, it's important for people to have critical thinking skills and to understand that there's something not right about what they're telling us about the Kennedy oh, yeah. assassination. About everything. You, you could take it from there, right? Yeah. You could, you know, do you, as I, like I tell people, do your own research, find, find the answers for yourself. But the one thing that remains constant in all of this, whether it's Forrestal being shoved out a window or, you know, everything, you know, with the UFO phenomenon. It's all about power and control. Mm -hmm. Kennedy had to go. He had to go because he threatened the power structure. I agree. So what do you think are the ramifications of the fact that he got assassinated? Like, let's say he never got assassinated and they didn't kill his brother or MLK. And just interestingly, about two or three years earlier, they came out with a manual on how to assassinate people. You know, you know, yeah. how does you, you if you're going to throw somebody out the window, it has to be higher Where'd than six stories. Yeah, exactly. Forrest yeah. <laughs> <And laughs> went out the 13th floor. You know? <laughs> right, right. This other person went out the, yeah. And then like, let's. And nobody let's... else has been assassinated since the 60s. You know, right. Reagan, there was an attempt on Reagan by a mentally ill guy that may not right. have anything to do with anything. But, yeah, I was uh, thinking that too. Like, yeah, but what or, are the or was there attempts on other presidents, but they just caught them in time and kept it, it hush yeah. hush? Right, right, well, like Squeaky Frome with, you know, Ford. I mean, that you yeah. know, that was kind of the Manson. Thing, yeah, but, but but yeah, no. And again, it goes back to the '60s. It goes back to the Cold War. But what was your initial question there? Well, what's the ramifications of the assassination in the country and politics? Like, let's say it yeah. never happened, or since it did happen, what did yeah. that change? What do you see as a what resulted from the Kennedy assassination? Right. And that and that is a question I asked every person I interviewed and, and on purpose, because that was the, one of the key themes of the book. Uh, what, what were the ripple effects? What have the ripple effects been? And to a person, it's amazing what they say, but it's basically. Kennedy, since Kennedy dies, the Vietnam War starts. We have been in a state of perpetual war ever since Kennedy died. Mm. You know, uh, you have Vietnam and we were kind of, we've kind of been in perpetual war since World War II. So, you know, you have Korea, you have Vietnam, then you yeah. have all the Middle East, you have all that. And but it also changes. If Kennedy lives, he wins a second term. Do we know that for sure? No, but we could be people loved him. Yeah. He was going to get the votes. Okay. He wins another term. That's eight years. Bobby wins, then comes in. They were terrified that he'd win another eight years. So that's 16 years of Kennedy's. <laughs> Think about how awful. The presidency became after Kennedy. 
And the people who became president, let first of all, Lyndon Johnson, we already talked about him. Nixon and Watergate. Hello. I, nothing else needs to be said, <laughs> you know, and just go down. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. This has nothing to do with That's another thing I learned. This has absolutely nothing to do with party politics. That's all a huge ruse to keep us arguing with each other. Yeah. Keep us fighting amongst ourselves with nonsense, Republican, Democrat, when they, they don't care. They don't care about that. <laughs> they don't. They just want to hold on to the power. Yeah. So that's very important for people to understand and realize because we're beating each other up so much right now. And it's like, but, but I, I don't want to go straight too much. Getting back to your question, it, everything changed when Kennedy died. Because the direction he was going was towards detente with the Soviet Union, an end to the Cold War, uh, an end to the, you know, no escalation in the Vietnam War. He probably would have pulled out eventually, maybe had some advisors there. So all, that alone is a big deal. But then when you take that and you keep going with the ripple effects of that and think about how everything, why do you, you know, it, Kennedy's assassinated in 63, the counterculture movement starts in 65, 66, people protesting all over the place because of the war. And then you have you have Johnson and then you have Nixon and then you have Ford. Yeah. <laughs> and you can go further, but let's stop there. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like all of a sudden it became. That just the the integrity of the office just eroded completely, and uh, and and just it kept us on this hawkish path on this war 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 profits. Yep. Right. We're gonna do whatever the hell we want. We're gonna invade whoever we want, and everyone, all those people, those elites were happy. They stayed happy. They made you know. I see a similarity there between Kennedy and Trump. You know. Yeah. Trump didn't want to didn't start any wars, right? He got us out of Afghanistan just like Kennedy didn't want to be in uh, Vietnam. He was and all the protests started against him because that's all arranged by the Democrats to riot and all of that. So you know it was very similar. They, obviously Trumps didn't get killed. He, he's alive, but there are a lot of similarities there between a leader that didn't want to play their game and was independent and what they did to him, you know? It's a leader that didn't want to play the game, but I will say this. He, he definitely was a leader who didn't want to play anyone's game. But let's go back to what we, what we talked about with some of these people, that, that narcissistic, egomaniacal, sociopathic personalities. Trump fits that bill. Absolutely, yeah. And, and that's the problem with him. He doesn't care... See, so he doesn't care about any cronies. Like normally they have their cronies, right? So, well, I should say there are probably some, but he doesn't care about anyone else about, but himself and maybe his fa immediate family, right? So mm -hmm. the people he surrounds himself with just to, so they can do things for him, right? But in the end, he only cares about himself. That was the problem with him. He didn't mm -hmm. care about the country at all. Where I think Kennedy cared about the country he legitimately cared about the country and he cared about the people of the country and trying to create a better country and well you also see the russia thing right kennedy wanted to talk with russia nothing you see happening right now with ukraine or putin would be happening if trump was in place so in a way there's another similarity 
he found a way to quiet Russia, quiet North Korea. There wasn't going to be any any wars with these people. But you get the Democrats come in, you know, whoever controls them, and you see Biden just ramping things up and ramping things up. But here's but what about George Bush? Well, he was terrible too. They ramped things up, and he was a Republican. So, well, yeah, well, yeah, well, I agree. Like I said, whoever's behind yeah. it, yeah. So, yeah, and I, what I'm saying is, doesn't matter if you're Democrat or right. Republican. It doesn't. It really doesn't. It's like a lot of a lot of the presidents recently. There was I just read this article, and I, I haven't done enough research on it yet to say for certain or uh, to make any bold statements. But it used to be presidents were war heroes; they were military guys, and they yeah. became president. Um, now it's all a CIA connection. And it kind of started after Kennedy, but certainly Bush Sr. obviously had the, you know, he was the director of the CIA. So that was a, that was like a major connection. Uh, But all, they all have to play by those rules. Like even Obama had to play by those rules. Right. And, and and even, uh, you know, whoever, what certainly George Jr. You know, was, he had all these people, all the people around him were his father's people. Right. So nothing changed there. It's yeah, no, no reason to be in the Middle East. Iraq didn't do anything to us to no, be attacked. Nothing. Yeah, it's and terrible. Afghanistan. And then we just turn it over to China so they can mine the uh, heavy metals you need for these cars and phones, right? I, I don't understand it. <laughs> and, and young people die. Yeah. Young soldiers well, die. And, I, and civilians I, die by the millions. <laughs> you know, you know, right? If, so If things were to ramp up, I would not. I'm not I'm not young, but I would tell my kids, you don't enlist, you don't go to war until they step foot on this on United States soil. I would never, ever go overseas to fight. And I know I'm in a very patriotic veterinary here in Pennsylvania. I have not seen one war since World War Two that was worth fighting for. I would never, ever enlist to fight in these foreign wars. Wouldn't do it. They come here. I'll run yeah. out of ammunition. Well, of I course. I, I, I totally agree with you. And it, it was World War II. That and then things it. started, you know, things just started to change. It's like yeah. in the CIA, it OSS became the CIA and it became a huge business. It's, it's a business is what it is. And I wouldn't, you know, I'd hate to see a grandson, my grandson maimed or killed for really nothing. These right. wars will always continue. Right. And you know what the worst part of that is? The worst part is that, you know, war, war, war. And I, I always support the troops, mm-hmm. but I also support the troops once they get home. Unlike Vietnam, right? Where they, they would spit on. That's, well, sad. I reckon yeah. when I heard the statistic about how many suicides right now, as we speak a day mm-hmm. from wars of the, uh, uh, you know, Gulf and Iraq and, and Afghanistan wars where they're getting no help. It's like go over there, and if you survive, you're almost better off getting killed because if yeah. you survive, you are you will suffer. It's unnatural and, to be in that position where you don't yeah. know you're going to get shot, you're going to get blown right. up. Your your body, your your stress, your nervous system isn't right. made to handle that. And there are it's some not. people who can, but I think there's a lot who just can't. You you shouldn't be in a position like that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you know, it's always been. They just didn't know what it was, but you go back through time. Anyone fought with a with a sword in in the Crusades? They all had PTSD. Right. They just didn't know what it was. I remember the scene <laughs> you know? with General Patton 
in the hospital with a kid yeah. and he slaps him. He slaps know, him. And, and that, the kid had show shock. That's what he, he had. Show- <laughs> and yeah, he, is, he gave was, it to him again. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was kind of a hard scene to watch. Mm. <laughs> you know, that poor guy. But they didn't know. They didn't, they didn't think that way. So yeah. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to give a shout out to Carnation. Thank you for sponsoring this second hour. We appreciate it. So tell me, um, Jack, uh, what about the unknown down? Um, what, tell us about that, uh, about the UFOs that were over Florida involving, uh, let's see, you said se- there's several unidentified flying objects over um, U.S. and Cuban military personnel. What, what does that have, what does that involve? That was a, a, an interesting book that and, and a project that came to be in an interesting way. I had gone to the you what was it what conference was it? It was in Sebring and it had to be maybe seven, eight years ago there was a UFO conference in Sebring. I can't remember which Where one it was Sebring Where's Sebring? Sebring is in the middle of Florida. It's the, like okay. there's a raceway there and nothing else. There's a hotel. <laughs> there's like a, a, a resort, a raceway, and that's it. So it's in the middle of the state, in the middle of nowhere, kind of between Tampa and Palm Beach-ish, like if you somewhere in there. And so I went to the conference because we had just done – it was after our first documentary – and uh, uh, the Stan Romanick, which was a very controversial documentary, but we he was there. We went down there and uh, I, I was meeting some other people. I wanted to meet people like Richard Dolan and some other people that I really wanted to get to know a little better for future projects. So we went down and I'm at this I'm, I'm walking around all the booths and the tables and there's a guy standing there at his table. And I, when I kid you not, when I tell you there's a little it, it couldn't have been bigger than this it was like this little pamphlet yellow pamphlet and it's called ufos over miami and i open up this little pamphlet <laughs> and i'm like I, I i don't know if it was free or 50 cents it was something ridiculously cheap but i got it and i, I introduced myself this guy, guy's name was dennis force ex-military and he goes you know he's and i'm re- i'm going through i'm like this is an incredible story it this needs to be a book. <laughs> like as a writer, I'm like, I've never heard of such. Like it was a really interesting, compelling story. So he goes, well, if you want to talk to the guy tomorrow, he'll be here. It's uh, you know, talk to my cousin. So Dennis was uh, in the military during that time period, sixty in this same Cold War, right then. You know, sixty three through you know the sixty seven, sixty eight, and uh, the guy by the name of Bill Schroeder was is his cousin and the story goes i'll tell you the real quick reader's digest version bill was stationed in key west dennis was stationed in miami it was not long after the cuban missile crisis so it was like a year or two so it was right again right at the height of the cold war everyone's on a high alert so they're they're both radar operators and they're on the phone together because they used to date these nurses in Miami and they were planning on their next outing. So they were like, they were just young kids, you know, early twenties. All of a sudden Dennis, who's further North is like, Bill, I got to get off the phone, right? I got to get off. So what winds up happening is they start to on radar. These, I was just like eight objects 
coming down from the Arctic Circle down the East Coast at speeds over 5,000 miles an hour. So, of course, Cold War, high alert. What are these things? Are they Russian? That's, you know, immediately you're on, you know, DEFCON, whatever, when stuff like that happens, because it's over the United States. So these things are moving south and they're doing like zigzag moves. They're moving like no, nothing that they've ever seen. It's not conventional aircraft. So they're already thinking it can't be Russian. It can't be anything. Once it gets closer, then all of a sudden Bill and Key West, they start following them as well. So these things came down. They started to do like a search pattern over the ocean, like right along the shore from like uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, down through the Keys and eventually through Key West. And then they started to go into Cuban Cuban territory towards Cuba. And what wound up happening is the Cubans, they, uh, they scrambled two MiGs, jets, fighters. One of them apparently was they were at, they were trying to catch up to these things and there was an electromagnetic burst. And because the, one of the craft was so close, it got hit the instrument, everything, all the power went out and the, and the plane disintegrated. So one of these Cuban MiG pilots died. The other pilot went back to Cuba Bill, they actually went outside and they actually saw these things in the air and they they fly. Like it was just not anything obviously conventional. They were UFOs. They were, they were, you know, UABs, whatever, whatever, UAPs. And so what winds up happening afterwards is this happens and then the cover up starts. So then what happens is within weeks of all of the guys in the radar room seeing it, they all start to get transferred all over the world. You're going to Greenland. You're going to Newfoundland. You're going to Korea. That's the Vietnam War, but Bill is sent to Korea. All the people that, because they didn't want people, and this is modus operandi when stuff like this happens. That's what they do. If there's a group of four people that see it in the military, those people are sent to places all over the world so they can't talk about it with each other. Mm -hmm. So that happened. And uh, so what, what Bill, after his service in the military, became a, a police officer, a detective. And then after he retired, became a private investigator. And after all these and they were told, say nothing about this. It was just it was uh, I don't know what they said to say it was. I can't remember offhand, but uh, th- they went on with their lives. But then when they got older and you know Dennis his cousin was still alive and he's the bills like I'm going to look into this more I can't because it, it, it haunted them because they knew that what they saw wasn't normal and they knew that it was covered up and bill's theory based on his knowledge of radar and what these things were doing and how they were maneuvering is that they were looking for a down craft so maybe that's why it's unknown down hence the name because it was an unknown craft probably one of theirs that may have gone down and they were doing a search grid, a grid pattern search for their own craft. They were looking for something down there and they weren't letting anyone get in their way. Like no one could keep up with them. And the American pilots that they were scrambled, they, they would be at 15,000 feet and then they'd be at 10,000 feet, just like that. Like they would crush us, but 
you know, human pilots couldn't do that. So all these weird, just ridiculous things were happening. So Bill looked into it and, and, you know, he, and I, and I met Bill and I'm like, Bill, let me write this book. I'll base it on all, he's did all the research. I'm like, let me just, I'll fill in the blanks. I interviewed uh, Robert Salas. I interviewed a couple other people because I wanted to get to that the idea of UFOs over military bases and missile bases during the cold war. And there was a lot of that, that Robert Salas's book is the same time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I wanted to get to that idea of that. This was happening a lot and NORAD knew about it right away. So everyone knew about what happened and it was happening on more than one occasion. So Bill did phenomenal research and what wound up happening. He found out that there was a UFO flap in Miami and South Florida for about a year after that. So this happens and then people are seeing UFO uh, UFO landed in a field outside of school. And there was this whole story about the school children and the teachers that saw this UFO land like a hundred yards away from the school. And this was in, uh, it was a Fort Lauderdale, Miami area somewhere. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm like, this, this story needs to be told in more than a little yellow pamphlet. <laughs> so I said, work with me. I'll do the book. I, I don't, I, I will self-publish it because he wanted to kind of start talking about the book and speaking about it. I didn't care about the, a lot of these books don't make money anyway. I mean, it's just nonfiction and they're, right. they're very niche. It's a labor of love. So I said, you know what, Bill, he's a really nice guy. Dennis was a really nice guy. Let me, I'll write the book. We'll self-publish. All right. I know I did it through the book patch, self-publish it. I had a friend of mine do the front and back cover. He's an illustrator. And I said, just, you know, you get the books at a low price. You take them to these things and you make a little money. I don't care if I make a dime on this. I didn't care because it was just a story that needed to be told. So that's the, and, and, you know, it's funny cause I don't know how many people have read on numb down. I, cause I never really publicized it on my end too much. Uh, but it's a good book and it's an int- It's a fascinating UFO story. Is Bill Schroeder in New York city or is that a different Bill Schroeder? Uh, different Bill Schroeder. Bill lives actually in the Tampa area down okay. here in Florida. Yeah. yeah. There's one in New York City by the same name who all into UFOs. And he wrote two chapters of one of my books, but he really takes a uh, interdimensional malevolent look at mm. aliens. You know, I don't know if it was the same guy or not. No, not guy. And, you know, this this really focused on more the military the 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 military guys who were just doing their job and really suffer because of what they see and cannot talk to anyone about yeah. it for 40 years so it became an it from that standpoint i wanted to get it i wanted to get at a couple things the idea that this was happening in more than one place during the cold war and and the fact that these military guys suffer because of the you know the they're told you can't talk about this, even though they know there was something that wasn't right. Yeah. Now, Jack, uh, some of the books that you have written, were you ever threatened by the government or subpoenaed by the government for anything? No, uh, not yet. And I don't think I will be it. Talk to me in a couple months after the killing Kennedy book comes out. But I, I, to be honest with you again, I, I take the stance as, I'm a journalist. So what I'm doing is, and I almost want to, I'm not an ex-military guy who's a whistleblower or that knows something so incredible that if I say it, (laughs) 
they're going to come after me. All I'm doing is basically documenting and sharing. So that takes a lot of the heat, I think, off of what would normally be some people who would be like, okay, I'm ex-military and I'm sharing a secret that I was told never to share, like a Roswell, you know, like, or, or you know, whatever, or, okay, I, I talked to a guy, they knew who killed Kennedy, or I'm Mary Pinchot Meyer, and I, I know for a fact that what happened with Kennedy and I'm going to blow the whistle. Well, then you're dead in a year. Hmm. So, no, but I will say that when we were making the Stan Romanek documentary, which was our very first documentary, we were getting a lot of strange phone calls. I, I, I'm almost positive our phones were tapped. Mm -hmm. And we were getting a lot of strange phone calls with this electronic voice. It was a woman's British voice that was electronic. Huh. And uh, it's because it was hiding who was really talking to us. And they would say like, you know, it, it, and, and what would happen is this phone call would call me in Florida, my one of my other partners in Seattle, my other partner in New York and then Stan Romanek in Colorado at the same time on cell phones and on, on landlines, we would all connect at the same time saying, hello, hello. And we'd all be on the phones like, Hey, did you call? No, I didn't call. Did you call? No, I didn't call. And then all of a sudden you'd hear static, static. And then this voice would come on and give us a message. And there were two different types of kind of messages. One was like, I'm never forget. I was coaching my kid at a soccer game on my way. And this call came through and they're like, now that you have, now that you're making the documentary, we want you to know that you are being watched, but that, that, but that, could get. <laughs> but that will be handled. So I feel like it was almost someone watching us like a white knight, almost like, you know, like we're, we got this, don't worry about it. The story needs to come out. But some of it was so strange that they'd say that the, the woman's voice would say, how you say, how do you say, and then be like, you know, we just in, in the, in the way the message was conveyed, we honestly truthfully believe that we were getting some of these messages from up there somewhere because they didn't know some of our lingo and our language and they, and, and they, and they probably used that electronic voice thing to, in order to speak to us. So that's what they were using. Do, and, do you, uh, do, yeah. Do you think Romanek was set up with his laptop, uh, where, you know, they found, uh, I don't remember what they found on it, but then he ended, I don't know if he ended up going to prison. Uh, he was sentenced. Yeah. Was he set up with that? Okay, so, and he did go for a little while. Went to prison. Yeah, they his life was totally destroyed. Based on <laughs> what we knew, and and understand that we approached this as we were never part of Stan's fan club or any of the mm -hmm. people that were going around. We were documentary filmmakers. Mm -hmm. we were just telling a story and we would have to tell people, listen, we're just telling this, we're presenting all of this incredible evidence and you have to decide for yourself whether you believe the guy or not. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, it's like if I made a documentary about Hitler, I'm not promoting Hitler. I'm just right, making a documentary about Hitler, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so that was our, we had to distance ourselves as, as filmmakers and say, we're just the filmmakers. But I will say this, knowing what happened over the years leading up and, and when we got to know him and we were at his house several times yeah. and all the phenomena and the things that happened to us, his computer was 
definitely tampered with because it had been tampered with before that. And he was warned several times, stop, stop, stop. And he was arrested probably two weeks before the premiere of the documentary. Yeah. We had a premiere in Fort Lauderdale film festival and he, they were so afraid to tell us, they, especially his wife, they, they, she just, they felt so bad. Lisa Roman, excuse me, sweetie. They got divorced. I mean, they literally destroyed this guy's life. And I have to say, Stan was his own worst enemy because mm-hmm. he said stupid stuff and he, he he was goofy and he just, you know, we can't choose who gets abducted, right? It's not like we wish Gandhi would have gotten abducted because, you know, hey, Gandhi got abducted. So Gandhi, it must be true. <laughs> so, you know, but this is just a guy who has his flaws and is, you know, like ridiculous, right? So, but but he had this incredible amount of evidence and some of it was so compelling. And then stuff happened to us that we couldn't explain. So, and he wasn't this mastermind, right? Like there's no way... We talked to AT&T people. We talked to phone people. There was no way Stan set up these phone calls. There was no way. He was as perplexed and as we were when the calls came. So my answer to your question is, I believe personally that he was set up. Now, I don't know if he's a pedophile. I don't believe he is. And he wasn't. It was child porn on his computer. So I think that the charge wasn't pedophilia. The charge was uh, distributing child pornography, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But we did a little research on this. We actually added 10 minutes to the film because we wanted to know if this is something that happens to whistleblowers. Wouldn't you know, it happens to whistleblowers. Mm-hmm. Stan's not the only one. Well, the head of MUFON, Jan Harzan. Yeah. He got him for the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, it's it, you got to... And then... You get Lou Elizondo in September, a month ago, makes this statement. He wants to blow up ufology. He wants to kill the UFO field because they want to control it. This group now that's working with the Pentagon, that's and he's one of their operatives. So what do you do? You start getting rid of people in the field so you can take it over. Try to destroy MUFON. Try to and if they want to get uh, Dave McDonald. Uh, I know things about him. They can get Dave McDonald also. I was on the board of MUFON. You know, is that what they're going to do? You know, because it makes you wonder, you know. And, and they don't have to kill you anymore. Right. They because don't you. It's the technology just, is such. Yeah. You know how easy it is to put child porn on anyone's computer? Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're the CIA or the NSA. I dropped my laptop off at Geek Squad once or twice a year to get cleaned. How do I know that, what comes back? <laughs> it's horrifying. And the truth is, once it happens, all that has to happen is that for that to happen. And at least 50% of the people in your life who know you will right. not believe you. Yeah, more than that. So you're completely discredited. It's the easiest thing for them to do. It's yeah. like, it's too easy. It's almost well, laughable. Yeah, today they just cancel you is what they do. Yep, totally canceled. And <laughs> that's what to- they did to Stan. Not to change the subject, but um, there's another incident in Washington, 1952, with the uh, UFOs. Have you ever researched that, or have you ever reached where they were talking about? <laughs> we're going to get back to this one. Um, there was Dwight Eisenhower um, was visited by an alien. Did you ever hear that? Uh, Valiant Thor. Yeah, you, hear- you know what? I have to tell you, when I first heard about Valiant Thor... I was like, I had, and I, I didn't know what it was. And I'm like, what is that? Well, who is that? 
and people started telling me in the field, like, well, you know, the whole thing and, you know, these people that came, they were in Washington, D.C. and they met the president and they, they hung out at the White House. And it was like two really good looking guys and a really yeah. beautiful girl. Right. Yeah. With Nixon. <laughs> when I when I yeah. saw the photos and I'm like, OK, they are very good looking. <laughs> you know, like, like ridiculously attractive, right. For human yeah. beings. Right. But yeah. I'm like, I started to look into it and I went down a rabbit hole because it is fascinating to yes. think. But the problem for me was Venus. Is that what you said? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's why couldn't they say? Yeah. <laughs> well, they said they lived underground. Oh, that underground. Possibly. Yeah, and yeah, people yeah. think there's people that live on the moon underground, too. Yeah, so. well, hey, Mars, you know, the, you know, and, and one day we might live underground. So, I mean, yeah. it's definitely possible. But that's where I lost. I just was like, ugh. And I know they've done some things on it. So that was not something we were going to really go into because that wasn't our people were already doing stuff on that. And and again, sometimes there's only so much. Right. How much is there on Valiant Thor? There's not that much. I you know, read the book. Did you read the book? You should read it if you haven't, because it's really fascinating. Stranger at the Pentagon. Is the yeah. Book. Yeah. Stranger at the Pentagon. And and one of the uh, uh, a friend of ours, this girl we know, she was actually in like a trailer for I don't even know if it was the book or some kind of doc like a thing that she played one of the aliens. She's a real pretty girl, she, but she had she had like brunette, dark eyes, big eyes, right? Big Ooh. eyes. They did and, a spoof uh, on it on American Horror Story last year. <laughs> I'm sure. But that, you know, listen, and that's but yet here were these people. There the photos are there. I mean, they're, they're, there. they're at the White House. There's they're sitting on the lawn. And then, but then is it taken out of context? What's the true story of who they were? You know, were they there? And then and just we're not hearing about who they really were. It could have been as simple as they were friends of whoever. You know, uh, but it is a little strange, especially during the time period, right? Yeah, that it was. It was like, well, well, there was a lot going on back then. Yeah, and, there was know. a lot going on. It's yeah, Did, have you ever heard of the story about the uh, even more interesting because of the way this? There's one picture of this woman, and she was at a party with two guys. And I, I, I'm almost positive this is different than Valiant Thor, and they they were at a conference, and there's a picture of this woman, and her she does not look she's she's like beautiful but not human mm -hmm. if i if that makes any sense you have the name of the the person oh, that they she never gave there was one it's really strange that you say this because the first ufo conference i ever went to in 1999 in northern virginia after joining mufon i meet a woman there that matches your description blonde uh al like albino features blood gray bloodshot eyes you know i see her come in at 11 so i make sure at lunch i get behind her and i sit and eat with her she never comes back to the conference i was there three days i saw her for one hour yeah. and i said that's a hybrid if there's ever a hybrid that comes yeah. to the ufo conference it was that woman and John, good for you for following your instincts because you can't discard that. Yeah. <laughs> like people say, oh, 
<laughs> you know, it's just a coincidence. There are a lot of weird looking people. First of all, there aren't that many weird looking people like that, you know, and why are they at the conference and why are they acting weird and why do they suddenly disappear? It's like, there's a, there's a bunch of things that went on there, right? That it's like, well, it was a little odd. And I'll tell you, you know? something even stranger. That was 99 in 2013. I go to Roswell for the first time. It's a week before the event. Like I went the first week of July or the end of June. And, I, you know, I go to the museum. I do all of that. I'm in a Chinese restaurant and I'm looking. There's a woman sitting there, a uh, different woman than the other woman. Same albino kind of looks, the weird vampire eyes, you know, straight. I see her the next morning hitchhiking out of Roswell. No bags, no purse. No bags, no nothing. It's on the edge of town. I'm heading to Santa Fe. There she is. And I didn't pick her up. I said, you know what? That's a hybrid. Yeah. I, I actually wrote a book about it, The Alternative History of Mankind. In the book, I pick her up and she tells me how they interacted with us and changed our history, our genetics, you know, and I'm arguing creation with her. I actually wrote a book about it, but it, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It is. It, it is. And you have to be aware of your surroundings, I think, for all of us. And we kind of are because the kind of people we are, we're always like, okay, what's going on here? We're observant. But I think, that, you know, we, there, was a, uh, there was a photo at one of Stan's conference. Stan spoke at a conference, and there were these two girls, that little girls that showed up. And someone took a picture of one of the little girls who was at the conference and they were wearing like one one piece jumpsuits. They were there, they were and then they weren't there. <laughs> and 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 one of them went up to the conference coordinator and said, "Thank you for what you're doing. It's important." That's it. Wow. And the photo of the girl is ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's a side view, and her eye, I can't even describe it, but it it's. People just don't think it's like like they you know I don't know like they're sitting right there maybe they kind of lull them into a sense of maybe there's a little bit of hypnosis going on where you know most of the people are like not sedated but like they're not they're tele telepathically don't wreck don't notice me mm. you know like just I mean, there might be some of that going on can I tell you guys a really quick story that's unbelievable yeah yeah and it ties in directly to what John just said. We so we're making the Stan Romanek documentary. We're in the middle of it. Okay. We're getting these weird phone calls. All right. All this is happening to us. I go on vacation with my family and I go to New Mexico because I love New Mexico. I just love New Mexico. And I know it's UFO Central, but I just I happen to love it there. So we go, we have a good trip. My wife flies for Delta. So we fly from Albuquerque to Atlanta and then Atlanta to Orlando, excuse me. Um, we get to Atlanta and we have a, we have to get our connecting flight, but we have about an hour and a half. My son, who I told you is a very open-minded kid. He's, he was there when some of these phone calls happened. He's like, dad, is that the ETs? Like, he's just a cool kid. Like he's just, he was like, oh my God, dad, is that the ETs? So <laughs> loves every minute of it. And so we're there. He's about 11, 10, 11 years old. We're walking through the Delta terminal to go to Outback to grab a quick bite to eat and then get to our, another, our next gate to catch our flight, the connecting flight. 
we're walking. I look to my right, and there's a girl standing there that I swear to God, when I tell you her eyes were like this, like they were shaped like that. Huh. She had a very small nose, very small mouth, reddish brown hair. I double take, triple take. I look at a guy who's sitting about two feet from her at the gate. He looks at me. I look at him and he's like, <laughs> like, I'm shocked, right? I'm two seconds later as we walk past, my son's like, Dad, did you see that girl? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, Nathaniel, yeah, I did. Dude, what the hell? Right. And so we go to lunch. We sit down. I'm like, oh my God, I got to go back. I'm going in. <laughs> like it was like, I'm going in, guys. Like, you know, they're, it's like, order me a burger and fries. I got to go in. I get my phone ready. I'm like, I got to go back. I can't not go back. They're like, okay, we'll order. My son's all excited. I'm like, all right, I'll be right back. <laughs> so I go, I have my phone. I'm ready with my phone to take a picture. That's my goal. Now understand I'm walking the opposite way. So she was on my right-hand side when I was walking that way. So she would have been on my left. So I'm looking at my left. I'm coming to the gate that she was at. I'm looking at my left, looking at my left. She's not there. I look to my right. She's about 15 feet from me at that gate, staring at me as if to say, like literally telepathically, can I help you? Like she knew I knew. I have to say, I'm embarrassed to say this, Mr. UFO guy, researcher and Kennedy researcher. I, I could, I, I panicked <laughs> because I, I couldn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. That's a great photo. <laughs> um, but but like and, and her eyes Three were that inches. big, but they were almost like shaped all the way up like this and real close mm. together. And 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 I'm like, oh, and, and, and I didn't know what to do. Right. And then so all of a sudden she very quickly starts to board what I thought she was boarding on a flight. And I did happen to notice that it was going to Detroit of all places, the flight said, it said Detroit. And I tried to get a picture of her as she was boarding, but I couldn't, I, it was, too, there were too many people in the way. I went back, I told my family what happened and they're like, Oh my God. And my wife and is very supportive. And she was there when these phone calls happened. And she's like, you know, she's had stuff happen to her just by being around me over the years with ghosts and UFOs. So she's like, yeah, oh my God, that's incredible. I said, I told my son, I said, do me a favor. And when, as soon as we get home, draw a picture of what you saw. And I had him draw a picture of this girl and I have it and I kept it. And, and it's something that, cause it verified to me what I saw. I'm like, yep, that's what I saw. Wow. So you didn't book a flight to Detroit and drove I didn't book a flight Mo to Detroit. Looking for her? Yeah, no, I don't know. Like, where what does she go to the, you know, what's she doing here? Like, you she's know, like. A, she's a Lions fan. That's in the yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, who she's knows if. at the Ford plant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. You know, but to, like, again, look, who knows? These people can phase. I, I feel like hybrids can phase in and out. 
of dimensionally. Well, you know what's interesting? <laughs> so, we've talked about this is that if you talk to people involved with the abductions, you don't you're not getting the uh, fetus abduction thing that was so prevalent with kids and all of that. It, and and David Jacobs says they have completed their program. So are these hybrids walking among us now? Have they got into corporations and politics and other areas? You know, I don't know. And are they so are they so integrated? And yeah. has the have these hybridization programs evolved so much that we cannot tell the difference at all? They're actually so I feel called, like, they're called hubrids, human hybrids, hubrids. Yeah. Okay. And I totally believe that. I feel like we've all at some point within the last year been online at Publix or, you know, like we've just not known we were in the presence. Like, it, it, you know, I feel like, John, with the stories we just told, there was yeah. something a little off about them. Yep. You know, but if they have perfected this, I feel like in the seventies, when you hear hybrid stories, like that book, Rachel's eyes, which was an incredible yeah, book, yeah. but she did not look human at all. She couldn't even eat human food. So it was an experiment. And she was like one of the first hybridization program products, if you will. Mm -hmm. And she did the, the, the goal of that whole experiment was, would, would she fit in a, with a college student? And the answer was no. <laughs> right. So, because she just, her skin was gray and clammy. I mean, it just was not, it wasn't human enough. Mm. And she had to wear big eyeglasses. There was just no way that she was going to fit in, but that was the seventies. So it keep going forward. And now all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you know, yep. scary to think, Yep. but that's my ultimate goal. I want to meet a hybrid and know I'm meeting a hybrid. I could have picked up two hybrids and I didn't. <laughs> you could have hitched. You could have. You could have hitch, hitchhiked into wherever they wanted one. to go. Yeah. I mean, my God, you know, Roswell knows. Yeah, they I could have, have shared all the secrets with you. Yeah. Well, I wrote yeah. a book to that extent, but I didn't actually do it. I, I have a feeling inside, that you, something yeah. inside me told me, "Do not pick her up." <laughs> well, yes. I'm just telling you, there's no purse, there's no bag. She's hitchhiking. She's strange looking. Something in your core and my soul said, yeah. don't, don't pick what her up. What if she really needed help and then you just drove by and left her Yeah, there. well, I'm sure the next truck driver would have picked her up because she was, <laughs> wasn't bad looking. <laughs> the, the, the next truck driver who's been missing since that That's day. Right. Yeah. Large wow. Marge sent him. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah. It was very enjoyable. Hey, very thank interesting. you, Jack, for being on. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, so, uh, thank you. Thank all of you. I really appreciate it. And I love to talk about all this stuff. So thank you for letting me talk about my book a little bit too. I really appreciate that. Definitely. And Where if you, you are interested yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. Right now it's available for, for pre-sale uh, and it's, and then on the 15th of November, it'll be available. It'll actually be available, but just go to Amazon and go to killing Kennedy, Jack Roth. And I have to say this now because there was another book called killing Kennedy written a while ago by bill o'reilly it is not that yeah, book yeah, yeah. Okay. it's not this is a different book so look up my name jack roth r-o-t-h killing kennedy it'll come up uh and then yeah i i i i can highly recommend it as a as an interesting read authors are allowed to use the same title uh that somebody else yeah. used i thought that you was can. the whole point of copywriting <laughs> no <laughs> you can't copyright a title i and i told i asked my publisher i'm like are you sure you're good with this? Because it's a catchy title, but also yeah. the subhead on the book is different. Yeah. So that's why mine's like exposing the plot, the cover up and the consequences. Yeah. So it is you know, obviously different, but I did question them on that. 
Yeah, because I, I wrote the first book in America on COVID called The Wuhan Conspiracy. And three months later, I see The Wuhan Conspiracy written by somebody else. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And there's no way to, you know, and sometimes there's yeah. only so many ways you can title a book. But, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. But I'm going to have to say that now on every show I go on. Yeah. It's not Bill O'Reilly's book, you yeah. know? it's it's not that so are you anyway. gonna write one about jesus now killing jesus because he wrote no. one about that. <laughs> if you write if you do then you're copying him <laughs> exactly no and i wouldn't want to do that but no actually i've thought about writing i'm, I'm reading a really interesting book about the shroud okay. so uh that's oh it's so yeah, fascinating that whole thing of what happened Freemasons? right after are you Definitely. reading about the freemasons who say it was jacques de molay or not or yeah, Knights Templar. Yeah, that uh, is, yeah okay. and there's something to it. I mean, in the French Languedoc region and the 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 Cathars, if you read about that mm -hmm. history, because it really it really shows who Jesus really was. Like you know, like it really was. He was he preached that we are we're all God. We can all do this. He said that. It said that in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, but the church wanted to twist it so that you're, none of you are God, and the only way to get through to God is through us. Yeah. See, it's yeah, all about man. power. It's all about yeah. power. It's the same Always thing. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you again for being on the show. And Thanks, we're welcome back thank on you, the Jack. next one. <laughs> thank you so yeah. much, guys. You guys are great. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Have a great night. See you. That was fun. Yeah, interesting. it was interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. I, I wish in his book he had got into some of the more conspiracies, though, you know. Uh, yeah. And I did want to hear, was it the UFO stuff? Was it? you know the mafia was it you know the uh silver certificates but he you know he stuck to a different you know uh storyline yeah that's interesting it always goes back to the powerful people the only thing oh, I, I, I disagreed with him when he can, can kept on saying all that stuff about trump trump loved america Oh yeah, I agree. He, uh, I he didn't because Trump he 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 loved America. He 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 didn't dislike it. That's yeah. the only thing I disagreed with. Yeah, and and, the, um, and you could see that whole way of thinking in the way they're trying to destroy him. You know, absolute election interference. They will not allow him to run again. You know, yeah. but DeSantis is going to be a good substitute, but. You know, they are going after Trump like they have never gone after another presidential candidate, you know, and it's. And I think if he would have stayed and I think if he was reelected, I'm sure he would have been they would have someone would have tried to assassinate. Him. Well, they would keep. Yeah, that that would have been that is the ultimate way of ending him would yeah. be the assassination. The other way is to put him away in prison or take away his right to, just, to just run. convict him of something with January 6th so he could never run again. Yeah. You know, and I said that four years, two years ago, three years ago, they will never allow this guy to run again because um, he's, count, he's counterculture to all of this power that, that we just discussed. Do you guys know of any Halloween investigations for this young lady to go to? attend uh the one down in union town it's the only one i know what's it called well uh, union town ghost walk what's hey sean I, I had a guy on facebook from russia contact me today and he wanted to know who was the best ghost paranormal investigator in the u.s so i gave him your name <laughs> that's good <laughs> and he's got a really long russian name started with an m uh -huh. 
You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know who this guy was, but I gave him your name. What's uh, going on with the ghost walk? Anything? No, not yet. I knows that uh, Terror's group's going to go down there and do Friday. Um, I don't know about Saturday, though. Because I have to be over at the Carnegie Library and work with Drake. What? Um, okay, so Halloween is, when is it? Do you guys want to do a Halloween show next week? Yeah, that's good. I might be a little late because I'm at a, uh, there's the debate between Fetterman and Oz. And there's a oh. debate party that night. But I think that starts at 530 to about eight thirty, so I'll oh, be on. Like, is that going to be on television? The they debate will that? be televised, but I'm assuming the debates at at seven. I don't know six. I'm not sure. sure. I'm not sure. But Tuesday we we're going to do our special ones Halloween. So bring your notes, your stories. Okay. What next week? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Uh, because next Tuesday, the Tuesday after is all say I might not be able to attend on, um, well, no, that's Tuesday. What's All Saints Day? Is that Tuesday? No. Is that the second? Okay. The first. first. Is that the first or the second? What is it? November 1st. November 1st. Okay, I'm trying to think if it's November 1st. They're having a special at my church for, for the people who passed away. They're going to you know my mom died in june so i was gonna go so i'm not sure yeah. if that's november 1st or the second yeah, I have the to go look on the-, the following mm-hmm. tuesday i think is the first because okay. next tuesday is the 25th there's 31 days so i guess it is maybe it is i always thought it was on <clears throat> the second for some reason Mm-mm. there's all souls day oh my god i'll have to look it up oh wait a minute you're talking about all saints day that. Oh, you I'll might figure. be right. You might be right if there's All Saints might be the day after All Souls, which is the day after Halloween. I think it's one of those. Okay. Well, thank you all for joining us tonight. We love you all, and thanks for sharing. If you have a yeah. chance to share the um, live, that would be great. Um, and you all have a great um, Tuesday night, or. We're getting into Wednesday now. I can't say, I want to say happy hunting, but that's your line, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You have a great night, guys. Good night, everybody. Turning into, oh my God, that was one of my brain phrases. Turning into Chasing Prophecy. We just checked out. That was fast. We didn't even end it yet. (laughs) I can't find the music, but that's okay. Thanks again for tuning in to Chasing Prophecy. Have a great night. Won't land, will it?